0: hello everybody uh welcome back to the podcast today i have uh a guest i'm really excited to talk to it's carl pravic and uh he's if you guys have seen probably roll with the fox uh his live stream um i i got i was lucky enough to be the uk yesterday for the uh live stream uh, roll with the fox but uh there's a lot of techniques on there a lot of free techniques um and uh just to, by way of introduction, I'm going to, we're going to talk to Carl about his background and things like that. But, uh, he's one of the senior, uh, guys from, from our team, from team Henzo Gracie. And, uh, he's, um, he's, he's helped me out a lot over the years. And, you know, whenever I go into the city, uh, always help me with, with technical advice. And, uh, I think he's one of the most innovative guys teaching in jujitsu right now. So, um, that's kind of where I wanted to start out, Carl. I was thinking, uh, uh, if you could describe uh some some of the ways that you innovate and actually maybe tell the story about a particular technique yesterday uh, you did a seminar at stout pgh and you uh you were working on the uh, uh top lock a uh, specific arm bar from the top lock that you were able to finish it had a lot of features to it that i think is better than some of the other really good techniques from that position that i've, I've learned before uh, could you just maybe like start out by telling a story of, of how you uh, were able to uh, come up with that technique or come up with those those innovations to that to, to that position? I'd be happy to. Thank you for the intro, that's pretty. That's an amazing intro. It's
1: my pleasure to be here. So, you know, the way, it, it, it's sort of funny, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people in jiu-jitsu are, um, I'm not quite sure what I would call us, uh, you know, OCD or whatever it is, but there's a certain thing that drives us to to try to figure things out. It's At the end of the day, uh, you know, one of the best parts about Jiu Jitsu, it's a problem solving uh, sort of uh, endeavor. And uh, I, I like, uh, you know, I, I teach everybody my best game because if they can figure out my best game, I have to evolve mine. So it's sort of it's sort of never ending arms race. Uh, so that's what that's what I do. And. The, the top lock armbar is has become very effective for me. And it's, it's kind of the, uh, for, for those of you that have never seen it, I, I'd like to describe it to you. It's basically top lock, which a lot of you are familiar with, where you basically um, cross your ankles. So it's a bit of a diamond. It's not a triangle. If I can triangle, I will. But it's basically you cross your ankles. I have both arms in, but one shoulder out. So head and both arms are in. The shoulder is out. What I've seen is that a lot of times, especially at the high level, and and when guys get very sweaty, is when you bring the outside leg over the head, an experienced, highly experienced guy, high level guy will wait for that moment to rip out. And they frequently succeed. Probably more than 50% they will succeed. And I'm a big fan of the armpit grip, you know that. And, And it's, guys, if you are listening to this and you don't know what armpit grip is, look it up you should be using it's extremely high degree of leverage the breaking power is is very very strong um a lot of um i i believe that when Jacques uh had his arm broken it started with an armpit grip it, the, the transition was kind of interesting but
0: it started with an armpit grip it's, it's got a tremendous breaking power I, I liked also what you said about it uh yesterday at the seminar the, the armpit grip it, it cures a lot of deficiencies in like, if your angle's not exactly correct, you know, you don't have that perfect perpendicular angle, um, it, it, things like, it cures that and it, it, it's so powerful that you, you don't have to attack from that perfect angle. Correct, Yeah.
1: correct. And it, it like, you know, sometimes we don't always get what we want, we get what we need, rolling <laughs> stones. Uh, so you need to, you know, I'm a big fan of the armpit grip. And um, I realized that when I had the top lock, you know, I feel like, you know, when you have experience, you realize that the guy's arm is severely compromised. I do not need to bring that outside leg over his head because I know what's going to happen as, as, as soon as if it's high enough level guy, as soon as I bring that leg over, he's going to rip up. And I just that the arch is very slight. So the combination of the top lock, not bringing the outside leg over, which is very interesting because not a lot of people do that in,
0: in BJJ. Combined with the armp-
1: armpit grip, it's it's. Uh, I'm a big fan.
0: Well, that the, that uh, position, the top lock, the first time I have have had seen that was another uh, really famous and innovative guy on our team, John Danaher. Uh, he likes that a lot. And interestingly, uh, from what you just said, he always emphasized that bringing the leg over is the weakness of the technique. So, but uh, the, so I removed the weakness. You, you took the weakness out <laughs> of the the technique. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, to me, I'm I'm just trying to really dig into this because one of the most fascinating things, and something I feel like maybe I'm a little bit deficient as a teacher and as a practitioner. I, I think I, I understand a lot of jujitsu and I've learned a lot of great teachers and I've, I've, you know, been able to practice it also, but, you know, I'm skilled, but, but I think the creativity and, and I just, do you remember the first time that you realized that, you know, maybe maybe you were training, or how you how were you training when you realized that I, I don't need to bring that leg over the head. What, do you, do you have any? Do you, can you think back? I know it was probably a couple years. It's back, sort of weird.
1: For, first, I. You're not a deficient teacher or practitioner <laughs> to me. You're a, a great teacher because anybody that constantly strives for improvement for himself and their students, it's an amazing teacher. And that that you Thank are, you. uh, we always want to do better. I always, I want to be better than I am, you know, yeah. and, but we always try, strive for that. But to answer your question, it's kind of interesting. I never had that Eureka moment. I don't think uh, okay. it sort of just comes over time. It's like, you know, first time it happens. So when you kind of do it, it's almost, you, you start to develop second intuition for things. And I think the first time it happens, you start to maybe ascribe it to that um, maybe it just was the right angling and just happened. And then you do it two or three times and you're like, okay, there is a lot to it. I've been playing with it for a few years and um, you can look it up on YouTube, guys. There's quite a few free videos I've done on this. and I started to play with it, and and it became very effective. Like it became to the point where some of my best guys, like literally, once I locked the top lock, they they
0: just I, I would just look at them, and I was like, okay, this is done. And they knew it. So when you were when you were playing with it, I assume you know I I know you knew, you were already using a top lock, and then you're you made this kind of change. You're like, oh, maybe if I use this armpit grip, if I you know, it, it, there's ways I can adjust to finish it without having to bring the leg over. Were you working with maybe some of your lower level students? Were you training slower? How, how to, you know, I'm, I'm really trying, I really would like to, for my own curiosity, just drill down to, you know, that process of discovering. It sounds like it was several iterate, like you you hit it, you were able to get it successfully on someone, and then you're like, oh, maybe I'll try this on the higher level guys. Is that, is that kind of the uh, process? a it, it, little different because I tend
1: to train with sort of my top guys Okay. because I t- constantly try to test my game. Anytime that my game is insufficient or inadequate, I need to come up with an improvement. Act. So if they start to counter my moves, I need to learn a counter to their counter. Or maybe I'm not doing the move properly. So it's one or the other. Uh, so uh, I believe the armpit grip pain first because I've always been a big fan of the armpit grip. You know, I, I play split guard, again, that, that relies on... This one is a little more lined up with your opponent rather than perpendicular or tra- aiming for a perpendicular guard. Um, and I, the armpit grip came first. Wow. And I think as I tried to set up the armbar, because that's what they were giving me, sort of the top lock is an interim position where you basically... So as you try to control him without big movements where they can just rip out, you sort of make it more, more like two smaller movements, and I think I had the armpit grip, and I hit the top lock, and I sort of felt like, okay, there's something I don't need to make that big movement because I felt like I, I can almost read my my training partner's like I know what he's waiting for right now. Yeah. But guess what? I don't have to make that move. I can just arch slightly, and it's on. And that's I think that's how it developed. That was yeah. the sort of the, the process. I, I I've always been, like I, not always, but maybe in the, just probably way longer than the last two years. I've been a big fan of the arm pick It's extremely. I, strong. I know you
0: have. I've I, you know we've training more than two years ago. I remember and you you caught me in one of those. Uh, it wasn't a top lock, but it was just. An a short grip. arm bar. Yeah. There's a lot of different arm bars you could do that. with. Yeah, and and so yeah, that's. Uh, I see that you were probably you know reacting to to skilled people who are you know waiting for that opportunity to pull exactly. the, to pull the arm out and that's how they developed it as an answer to, to what they were doing so so um, well that's that's something that to think about as far as innovating for me and you know probably the people listening uh, if any time, and it doesn't have to be super creative or anything even just if if there's a deficiency if if your training partners are escaping don't ignore that don't pass that over uh, figure out how to, how to, you know, see if you can figure out how to, how to beat that. And that sounds like what you did with that. To There's that literally team. three possibilities. It's, it's, a, it's just not
1: logically good technique, but more likely it's either you're not doing it well, or you're doing it well, but your training partner figured out a counter. So if, if you're not doing it well, do it better. If you're doing it well, your training partner figured out a counter,
0: figure out a counter or ask your teacher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I guess one of the other things, probably along the lines of being so creative, our whole team is really creative. You know, like I mentioned, John Danaher, uh, really good example. Uh, another guy we had on a podcast, Sean Williams, really good example. Um, they, they've come up with, you know, kind of the same thing. Creative positions that diagnose deficiencies in in classic positions, we'll say. Um, has, how has that influenced you, training with other creative positions? Uh, minds because i know you train in the city a lot uh it, it you know in, in new york at it, it a main academy um how how has that kind of developed your your style and your career being around all those other creative teachers
1: uh you know for me um you know i had you know in the early days of jiu-jitsu when i started training it was very frustrating for me because i did not you know quite understand it, but for some reason I sucked it up long enough to start to get to the good part when you start to figure things out. But how,
0: how long did that take you know, like to get to the good
1: part? <laughs> Too, long. Too long. Too long. So for those of you that are having a hard time, though, it will get better, it's just a matter of time. But I, I, I want to, you know, uh, I think at the end of the day comes out, uh, comes down from the top, from Henzo Gracie himself. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Henzo's game, he's always you know uh he's always been innovative he's always willing to take fight against anybody and i think if you really look at henzo to to look at how the 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 students and teachers that he's produced just look at you know our team to some extent is 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 uh, the the knowledge is not i don't want to say diluted because that's not the right word but think about it like some teams are more sports jiu-jitsu oriented some teams are you know just kind of more mma and Henzo's team—it's you can do sports jiu-jitsu, or you can, you know, as a hobby, which most people do with self-defense. But a lot of the top guys go to MMA. So again, you—you between those two. But look at—you know—how many—you know—UFC uh, world champions has the team produced? You got Henzo, you got Ricardo Almeida, you got Matt Serra, you got John Danaher, you got—you know—to a large extent, fair as a hobby is—is. Is all and, and I mean, all, think all about, of his guys.
0: I know yeah. you work with Faraz a lot, uh, and, and you know if you include, I feel like if you include that team and the guys that come from Canada and come from Faraz, because uh, I think it's fair to include them, right? I mean, I, I, as far as as far as it, among philosophy. our team, and, and
1: we gel. You know, we I, I think people gravitate towards people that that they understand or they've. S- seem to think same. We may come up with different re- so, uh, solutions, but we are thinking uh, constantly like to try to evolve the game, to make to try to make it better. How do we solve this problem for this particular situation? And I think, again, it c- comes out from Henzo. If you look at the extended Henzo Gracie family, it's pretty amazing family.
0: Yeah, it really is. And and like you said, I think that's a really good point that maybe some people don't appreciate in a jiu-jitsu world. Like, our team is amazing at MMA. We've had a, you know, just a, just an incredible, I think. And uh, Matt Sarah. Yeah. Got, so far, he's produced between Matt, Chris
1: Weidman, Aljamain Sterling,
0: three UFC champions. Just, and that's a satellite, you know, a part of the <laughs> team. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, I, I think, I, and you're right. I think, you know, just, just speaking to like Henzo himself, uh, I still remember the first time I actually met and talked to Henzo. I was in, I think I was a white belt. I was in, in New York City, and. Uh, as somebody I was I was doing a single leg or uh head inside or a outside carry or something uh and Henzo walked over and said hey can you show me that and I was you know at that point I'm just a new guy and I'm kind of starstruck and I'm like Enzo, I don't know you know <laughs> like I was I was kind of nervous to show him but you know but he's like hey I want to I see what you're doing I want he's like do it on me you know and, and I was like wow this guy is amazing he you know some guy doesn't know uh you know coming in and, and he wants to learn to see the position so that's that's, that's Hensel, yeah. You yeah know?
1: and i and i think ultimately i i believe the strength of the team comes from the leader and 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 we try to adopt sort of his approach to the game and i think that's one of the reasons why the team is just has done so well in 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 various areas of jiu-jitsu and I, I, I if I can mention one other thing and this is one part that of, of you know powerful Teams that are you know really good in sports, you know, jiu-jitsu or, or MMA does sometimes they don't adopt the, the the third part of jiu-jitsu and that's you know Henzo tries to make everybody You know utilize jiu-jitsu to become the best person or, or, or get some happiness from that whether that guy the guy may never be a world champion he may not have any aspirations and he might be a a, a janitor or high-level lawyer it it doesn't matter it's it's the guy henzo will try to make that guy feel at home feel happy to be in that place and also and I think and also help them with their jujitsu as much he would a guy that already won a world championship and that's part that some teachers don't understand yeah and this is one thing that I'd, I'd encourage you if you're a teacher, you know, don't forget about that.
0: Yeah, I, I that's so important. And I think I, I agree with you that that comes down from the top. And, and maybe like maybe that's why I really, you know, I've never even considered, you know, I, I train other places sometimes if I'm traveling or whatever, but I've never considered not being part of the team because that just that attitude just resonated with me. And I think it was because uh, another guy I've had on a podcast, my grandfather, uh, there was a, a, you know, Hall of Fame wrestling coach. He um had this very same attitude, and I think he mentioned it on the podcast. You know, that's that's a cornerstone of, of his coaching philosophy. You treat the, you know, in his case, the state champion or national champion the same as you treat, you know, the third string guy on the team, I- I- as far as helping them learn, right? Yeah, and, and I think I think that's, I got that almost um, aggressively from the time that I was a kid, and and I think that maybe that's maybe that's what I found in our team as well. I think yes. so because I think Hensel has the, the same exact attitude and that's 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 pretty cool story yeah yeah and that's that's why i always say like uh we have you know and, and some people there's all political things with it but i just like the battle of life uh, theodore roosevelt's speech because my grandfather had it on on the wall uh of, of his wrestling room and that's why i have it in all my academies uh now because it's part of that philosophy of, that resonates. You know, it's it's about the person doing it. It's not about you know, and it's about uh, trying. It doesn't matter. You know, in some ways, the result is secondary. It's it's the effort, the 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 the, the trying to, to be your best. You know. Sometimes
1: you appreciate a guy that keeps trying despite failing, than the guy that
0: comes easy to. Yeah, yeah. you know. Well, that, that's I, one of the things I want to talk. To that I think is really interesting about you is is your 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 background. Not even in jiu-jitsu, just uh, uh, how you how you came about. Kind of along a different path than a lot of people, um, but you you weren't born in the United States, correct? And uh, and could you just talk a little bit about the story about how you came to came to the United States and then your path that kind of led you up before you got into jiu-jitsu, before you you came to jiu-jitsu? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of, I almost fell into jiu-jitsu by accident. You know, I, w- I was
1: born in Czech Republic, former Czechoslovakia. And, um, you know, my father, um, you know, for those of you that understand history in 1968, Soviet Union at that time invaded Czechoslovakia because it was trying to develop its own sort of version of, uh, you know, kind of almost governance and, and that posed a threat to the old Soviet bloc. So Soviet bloc invaded. My father was blacklisted for speaking out and, and, you know, we really could not travel anywhere. It, you know, it was a small country, we couldn't go outside the country and then for many years we could only travel to neighboring communist countries that had just as tight a grip on its citizens as, as the former Czechoslovakia did, or if not tighter. uh, And then eventually in 1980, we managed to, uh, to get our way into sort of Austria and, and you know, it's, it's, that's a longer story. I don't want to get into it. But um, I, uh, you know, came to the U.S. Uh, one year of high school. Then I went to college, graduated in three years, worked a couple of years. Then went to a really good uh, business school to get an MBA, which gave me uh, a lot of opportunities. Once I graduated Columbia, you know, it's always like you had a pedigree. You don't have to have connections if you have a, pe- you know, if you get that sort of piece of paper. And you know, worked hard and and, and tried, uh, you know. Uh, but I was always interested in martial arts at the time. In the early days, I, started, I was training Taekwondo, and then one day, one of my friends like uh, told me, this is in the early 90s, hey, here's a tape of Gracie's in action. Why well, don't you take a look at it? I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting. He said, by the way, they're coming three weeks, it's back in 1991, to Sheraton Terra Hotel in Parsippany, New Jersey. And that's where I went. And at the time, it was everybody was together. Horian, Hoyler, Hoyce, uh, Hickson, uh, Elliot was there. Uh, you know, like the whole family was there. It was like 10 12 adults maybe more 15 and eight kids so and then they, they roll with everybody and I just realized how intricate it is and at the time I was still a hobbyist and I basically you know kind of said you know this is really interesting let me try to incorporate that into my stand-up game and then as it progressed you know I was training jiu jitsu one you know uh, in 93 I started training once a week just kind of just trying to like incorporate that into my stand-up game. And then as it progressed, I started to realize how intricate and how technical it was. And I was like, okay, I need more of this. It became, you know, five days stand-up, two days uh, jiu-jitsu, then three days jiu-jitsu, four days stand-up, and eventually it transitioned all the, way through, uh, all the way to the other side. And um, I, I'm not a fan of political uh, political corporate America. And, and I, I was rising through the organization. And at some point, I, and I was working on, on, on putting transactions together and, and I enjoyed kind of trying to you know, uh, arrange financing for companies that were expanding capacity, growing stuff. But as, as you rise through the ranks, you become more and more involved in politics and less and less in the business. It's just inevitable. Uh, and I, I didn't like it. So me and a couple of friends left to, to form a small financial consulting firm. And you know, at the time I was my, I. Got talked into opening a school and it started to grow and at some point i was like faced with a decision it's like okay i can do one or the other i can't do both so i love jujitsu and you know i i start teaching and you know it, 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 you will struggle most people you know a lot of people think that you know if you were at that time i was already a black belt under henzo and 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 people thought even, you know back then it's like when purple belts could walk on water and then you know you got that belt that somehow it's like people are going to be banged down your door no you got to still put in the work
0: yeah and that's well it seems like i mean it, it, from my perspective anyway uh, your school schools you have two schools now super successful and it's a good segue into what i wanted to ask you about too uh you've produced you've also produced a lot of really um you know world-class students as far as you know athletes and competitors uh both in mma and particularly in jiu-jitsu um one of the guys, uh, I know you had an ADCC, ADCC silver medalist that was training under you, uh, and you have some current uh, competitors that are really, really skilled, and, you know, they're right in the mix there for some of the top spots. Um, what, uh, what do you think about when you're coaching a high-level athlete versus teaching your – is there any difference between, you know, those guys and, and how you coach, what you focus on, than teaching your regular students because i know you really focus on that as well you know you're really dedicated to i i mean just a little side story uh carl's been here a few times and some of my students so you know every now and then reach out and ask him a question or or he'll see that they're you know oh, I'm, I'm injured or i'm not in jiu-jitsu and and carl you know ha, has a lot of students and people don't appreciate how the volume of just just people talking to you and requests and stuff when you have a big school and, or schools and uh but you'll respond to my students even here, and I'm sure you do that with a lot of other places too, and people that you know from all over the world. Um, but h- how do you how do you differentiate that? Because I know you care about the regular students, but you also have to spend a, a lot of time with these high level athletes that you train with. What what is it? What do you think about when you're coaching?
1: Them? Yeah, I, you know, first I, I don't like to take credit for my you know and and uh, for for sort of the guys that achieve you know some heights in in in, in, in jiu jitsu or MMA or whatever it might be, um, but my personal approach is I, you know, when I have students, and I don't really care whether you're a, a super talented, hardworking guy, or or you know, a hobbyist that comes in three days a week. My job as a teacher is to inspire you and try to achieve your goals. So I will try to do that for anybody, and whether again, I you know, you may not have any aspirations to be a world champion, and I don't really care. I'm gonna try to help you achieve your goals. And so the only difference between the high level sort of the the guys that are high level practitioners, professionals or quasi-professionals, it's their goals are different and that's it. So me as a teacher, as an instructor, as a coach, I try to help them achieve their goals, but I would try to help others achieve their goals, whether they're my students or somebody else's students. you know, yeah, I, you do get a lot of you do get a lot of messages from people uh, from all over the world, and and I and I think one thing that I would like to try to think is when it sometimes gets almost overwhelming is that you know it's 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 a privileged spot to be
0: in that people literally all over the world, you know, you can help make that guy's world better. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it because I get caught up in sometimes too where yeah. you. You know, it's kind of a, like, oh, I'm overwhelmed, like you said, by this. And I can't respond the way I want to. But, but yeah, that, that, if you shift that frame of thinking, like, this is a privilege that we get to, you know, try to help people. You know, I, I, that's a great way to look at it. Um, you don't have to answer this next question if you don't want to. <laughs> uh, but I, I have to ask, how old are you right now, Carl? Uh, I
1: stopped counting at 50.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. A, I identify a myself
1: answer. as a, some days 28-year-old and some days 32-year-old. And, and you're
0: allowed to change like that's the rule yeah, right you're exactly, allowed to identify as whatever exactly. you want right? I
1: will look at guys and, and you know when I wrote the very first book I didn't want I, I hate to write and I like one day I got to convince to write a book and I don't like to write But what convinced me is when guys that I knew were 32 or 35 complaining online like you know They're broken and they think about quitting jujitsu and I'm you know my sort of kind of idea or response to that was maybe it's not that, you know, once you turn 30, you stop training jiu-jitsu, maybe you're just not training the right way, or maybe you're not, there's different ways to train, maybe there's different ways to look at things. And that's what inspired me to write the book, and then eventually the video series and all this other stuff. But we're, it literally- We're
0: talking about the, uh, fluid, the fluid BJJ is a book, yeah, it's about water training, and uh, uh, we can get into that for sure uh, if we have a little bit of time here, but um, uh. I, I think that it's really amazing that you train you train seven days a week right yeah and uh, and rarely miss miss training and uh, and often those those training sessions are not you know everybody, when you say a training session it can mean all kinds of different things right <laughs> yes. like that's how somebody says i trained and they might have just like sat there and well, sat on the side of the mat most of the time or, or maybe they just Tried whatever. The once yeah and then, and then talk the rest of the time or whatever but i, I know like because i've seen your training and i've trained with you you've tr- you train with really high level people often right yes. like and it and uh you know we're talking about world champions we're talking about you know guys that are placed in major major tournaments uh, in jiu-jitsu uh so how how what would that look like if you described like what, could you describe just for us as far as you know not in great detail as far as everything you're doing technically but like what does your training look like on a weekly basis uh, i try to
1: uh
0: have a, almost like a weekly schedule
1: of hard energy training sometimes you got to come off that schedule because for example maybe on a day that i'm thinking like i'm banged up you know and a little pushing my body a too much that's my easy day but you might wind up you know particularly at henzo's you may wind up with a guy that just wants to go hard and you, you know you got to step up you gotta you know you're there so you you may have to step up your your uh, your training beyond the level that you wanted to but generally speaking you do want to have even if if you're uh you know if you're not as middle-aged as i am <laughs> you still want to have a bit of a yeah, it's it's hard to train seven days a week without having sort of a weekly schedule. Trying to, I can go hard three days in a row. Once I get to fourth or fifth, that's when I start to break down. When there's a you know greater chance of injury or something seizing up. So I try to if I have two two hard days, I try to have a soft day. What I define as a soft day is water training, drilling solo BJJ drills in the water, uh, drilling with a training partner or flow flow rolling. And again, guys, there's some people, flow rolling is bullshit. No, flow rolling is is very useful if it's done right. What to me that means is, yes, you could still submit your training partner, it's catch and release. When you catch him, you put the submission on, when he taps, you lighten up and let them escape that submission. Your intensity and speed is reduced but your precision is not. And that's where the misconception about flow rolling sometimes comes.
0: And that, and I, I know you mentioned earlier that you usually train with some of your uh, higher level students. And is that? I think for me, it, it seems like you have to be pretty selective. You almost have to have the right person that, that also knows what flow rolling is. That accurate, or can you? Do you think you can flow roll somebody who no, doesn't no, want you, flow roll? You,
1: you, you gotta like you got be. You gotta know who your training partners are. There are days that I'm You know, like you want to go, let's go. But you know, if if it's if, if I get asked to, to roll by somebody I don't know, on a day when I'm banged up, they will not like the experience. Yeah. You know, because I usually say, listen, I'm banged up. Oh no, don't worry, we go easy. You know, there's three lies in Jiu Jitsu. How much do you weigh, how long you've been training, and let's go easy. Uh, and you know, it's okay, I'll give you a chance to show me what you're gonna, you know, if, if you really mean it, but most people don't. They just, you know, they wanna have, they wanna see, you know what they can do and then yeah. then it becomes almost like a fight and and I've had you know like I've 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 had people you know I didn't I said how do you like training with me now you know when they insist and and do you understand that if I get hurt I can't teach tomorrow if I get hurt and I know my body so I know this is the day that I might maybe on the verge maybe I just spend you know eight hours on a plane four hours in a car I just got out had two espressos and now you want me to roll with you? I will do it, but understand that you may not like the experience. And I think people—the the reality is—you know, most people do not understand. It. It's not even the etiquette; it's the logic. It's it's, yeah. it's understanding that you know they are there to train. This is—they feel good, their bodies right, they're not hurt. But guess what? I train every day. Most days I'm you know partially hurt, or and if I try to politely put it off then at some point if you insist then uh, yeah. yeah we go that's okay you got to step
0: you know you got to step it up and you got to be willing to go <laughs> but again you may not like the experience <laughs> well, well um well that's uh that was, uh, was i think a lot of in- stuff insightful that i can take away and uh, we're, we're about out of time for today um but i uh I'd really like to definitely try to do this again sometime. Yeah, that's, that's, This is my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Um, where can and just I just want to uh, put it out there. First of all, where can people find uh, some of your online content if they're looking for? Very simple.
1: Everything. If you Google Silver Fox BJJ, our YouTube channel is Silver Fox BJJ. Our website is SilverFoxBJJ.com. If you uh, want to, you know, uh, put out some uh, um, videos, um, quite lengthy and detailed on BJJ fanatics. There's three so far.
0: All you got to do is put "fox" uh, like the animal fox in the search box. That's where you can find. So F O X. Uh, if you're on the BJJ fanatics site, which you know I, I've I've gotten Carl's videos. They're excellent. I highly recommend them. Uh, and uh, uh, where can uh, another thing that that we didn't really get into, and then maybe next time. Uh, Uh, is you you do a lot of uh camps training jujitsu training camps all over the place i know you do one you do some in europe uh you know we talked about your background uh european background but also uh you do a costa rica camp um where where can people find information about that and and how you know if you just real briefly how do those work and what you know what what would be the kind of the experience if somebody comes to well
1: i i really like uh, bjj camps i know know warren does camps, BJJ camps, also in Costa Rica, you get Gary Tonin or Daniel Gracie teaching. So again, Sean Williams, Sean yeah. Williams, those yeah. are amazing guys too. So, you know, just counter shout out too. So, <laughs> but, um, I really like the idea of BJJ camps and, and I tried to put my camps and I'm expanding the, the camps. I already taught talk, in talks with people in, to do in Italy and in, in, in the Alps. So I, I really like the idea of putting a camp where we can train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So you get your fix. And you could do other things you can go jump in the ocean you can see you know monkeys and 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 see uh, you know big uh you know toucans in 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 the costa rican jungle or you can go in europe and you can visit a castle in the afternoon some history you know some history so and and what i like best about it is that the practitioners spend three to seven days together so we get a chance to hang out bond have dinner together have drinks together and exchange not just kind of, you know, here's my knowledge and good luck with it, but actually talk about some of the, you know, what people experience. So it, it's a much deeper and much more nicer experience. And I really, really enjoy that. And I, I would encourage you guys to try any uh, uh, BJJ camps.
0: Yeah. And I just a second that I, I really think that it's a different learning experience when you're um, another guy I've had on a podcast, my brother, who's a, a neuroscientist. We've talked about this a little bit. Um, when you change your environment, there's some research and some, you know, uh, evidence that that you're learning, you can actually by change by going to a different environment, your learning is actually increased, right? It's easier to learn new things. So and I have found that to be the case myself, when I do my camp, uh, I, I always come back and I learn a a lot. So it would be if if you do get a chance to go to one of Carl's camps, it, it will not only you know, be a blast and you'll see, you know, castles or in jungle in Costa Rica. But I I believe, I a hundred percent believe that you're going to make massive improvements in jujitsu. Um, we've had some people come back from our camp and say, it's, you know, the training partners just said it, you know, we've taken, uh, you know, it seems like I've, I've had six months of improvement in a a week, you know, and, and, uh, and that's, that's a real experience for people. So yeah, highly recommend the camps. And, uh, and if you're, if you're anywhere in the New Jersey area. and you want to you wanna find a great school that has a good attitude, uh, check out, where, where are your schools at? Or Northern which? New Jersey in the suburbs of New York City. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get, uh, I'll get on the mats with you again soon, and we'll get to maybe do another podcast in the future. Would be my pleasure. Thanks, Carl.